Welcome to Quaker Faith and Podcast, where we will explore traditional Quaker beliefs and the variety of Quaker beliefs found today. Welcome back to Quaker Faith and Podcast with Mackenzie and Micah, and we are going to be finishing out this book with uh, Section 7 of the book being Traditional Quaker Christianity, with Section 7G, which is on integrity. This is strongly related to the last episode we did, which was plainness and simplicity. And actually, as I was reading this chapter, Micah was going, wait, but, but this is simplicity again. Um, and so I think uh, I want to start with saying that integrity and honesty, while they are frequently uh, used interchangeably, are not actually the same thing. And so integrity also means wholeness. Is honesty a part of integrity? Yes, I think honesty is a part of integrity, but that integrity is a larger thing. And so, you know, when we talk about, uh, you know, we can talk about the integrity of an object, meaning right. that it's not broken, it's right. whole or complete. And so I think integrity is probably ultimately the uh, sort of overarching thing when it comes to Quaker testimony, because it's about our wholeness with God or the completeness of our surrender to God. Which means we're not broken into pieces, but all of our life is one piece. <laughs> uh, sure. We're not, we're not separating off parts of ourselves from God in order to keep them in uh, an ungodly way, I guess, if you want to put it that way. Yeah, I mean, I think I think this is a big part of the uh, sort of the transformation experience with with uh, the Holy Spirit that uh, you know I know has been going on in my life, and I think you know when you read the writings of, of Quakers throughout the centuries has has been a consistent experience of um, growing integrity. Uh, that is a growing integration of life in Christ as opposed to in the ways of the world. Um, and I think the I think a big part of the reason is the process because like I've had and for those of us who have had sort of a, a lightning bolt moment with God, it's like oh my life must change now. Um, I think you know for me in my in my ignorance there was an assumption that like God had sort of struck me with lightning in this particular moment, and so now my life was completely different, right? And like from here on, I'm just a completely different person, and. Uh, the process of what, what Quakers would call the process of sanctification, which is on no, we, we call it perfection. Well, sanctification, <laughs> perfection. Um, the process of sanctification or perfection uh, is ongoing, and it's a process of, of so like you have this initial experience, or or some you know some it's always been more gradual, um, but you have this experience of God showing you things you needed to know, showing you things about yourself, and you and you are ready to change, and you're given power to change. But then it just keeps coming. Uh, God keeps God keeps showing us parts of ourselves that we didn't even consciously see before. But now we can see our, our sort of strongholds of resistance within ourselves to God. And I'm just amazed with how, you know, how these, these parts of myself that I didn't see just keep coming. Like I keep thinking, Oh, I surely must be done now. I surely must like see myself in my entirety. <laughs> surely I'm perfect now. <laughs> sure, sure, surely I've arrived. Um, and, 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 uh, these things just keep coming. And, and the more I see, the more, the more brokenness is, the more brokenness I realize is there. Um, and 
so so thinking about integrity, uh, I think I think in my, in my experience, and I think in the traditional Quaker experience, integrity like sanctification is a process, and it's something. It's almost like you know I'm I'm this shattered vessel, and the pieces are slowly being put back together by God. But like it's 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 unclear like when when the vessel is whole again. Um, and yeah, so integrity. So so I mean, integrity is challenging because I think like there's no end to it. But it's also but but I think integrity is also easily confused for sort of a human perfectionism. I think of like you know people like me uh, who you know want to make sure that for example like everything you know maybe we want everything we buy to be like sourced from something you know from an from an industry that's that's pure you know we want to make sure we our clothes don't have slave labor we want to make sure you know there's not too much packaging in the things we buy because that would be wasteful and environmentally destructive um, we want to make sure the workers are well paid etc cetera, etc cetera, and on and on and on and i think most of us have run into this brick wall of like oh my goodness there's no way to like verify my supply chain and there's no way to like live this life of like, it's not enough for me to be perfect. I need everything that everything I consume and experience to be perfect too. And like, there's no way to get there. And there's no end to it. And so, um, I think that while the integrity that God gives us, you know, is humbling and simultaneously humbling and empowering and life giving, the sort of false integrity that I think a lot of us seek sometimes. I know I do. Uh, is both. What's the opposite of humbling? Uh, aggrandizing. Aggrandizing. It's both aggrandizing makes us think better of ourselves and makes us give, give leads us to the temptation of uh, of, of spiritual um, spiritual pride. Um, but at the same time, as it makes us more self-aggrandizing, it also uh, leads us to despair because there's no way we can we can make ourselves this perfect thing that we've imagined in our mind and make everything pure, right? And um, I guess maybe let's engage with some of like the stuff that's written in the book more particularly, like the sure, low, sure. Yeah. deeper or lower level or whatever, more detailed stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, in the book, um, it talks about how every choice that we make can either basically make us more sensitive to the work of, it says the Holy Spirit, if you're not really into that language, the light. Um, but you know, the work, the work of the Holy spirit or the light on your, your own soul, um, or on your own self. And so that can be things like what you read or buy or eat or watch on TV or any of those sorts of things. And I mean, I'm sure we've all had, or I'm sure lots of us have had the experience of after you read enough about terrible things, you start to become desensitized to it. And it, you know, you're, you can be like, well, yes, that's bad, but that terrible thing's been going on forever. So as opposed to, wow, that's awful. We should do something about that. Like, and I, you know, that's a response that we sometimes see to, you know, various political things where somebody says, well, it's been that way, way forever. Okay. But we've noticed now we can do something about it. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so if, if the things that you're consuming are pushing you away from, um, that sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, then maybe you need to stop consuming those things is, is like a decision someone can make. Yeah. I think the difficult thing is, uh, I think the difficult thing is the complexity of the systems we live in. 
uh, and knowing, like, so I think of, like, for example, these mass shootings that keep happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at, at the time of recording, we, we've just witnessed this shooting at the newspaper in Annapolis. Uh, and Which is, by the way, what, like 50 miles from us. Right. Like, it's pretty close. Right. So we, we live in this time where, like, we're having a mass shooting, you know, pretty much every month, I think, at least. Um, and they just keep coming. And it's hard not to be numb to it because it feels like there's nothing can be done. Mm-hmm. Because the, the will, the political will of a certain portion of this country is completely vehemently opposed to any sort of intervention in the gun industry um, and regulation of firearms, which are why this is happening. Uh, and, and so, like, just... Well, but then you could also think of... Um from the perspective of, like, the people who are doing the shooting, what got them to the point of feeling like it was okay to do, right? Like, there are certainly plenty of Christians who would say that um, they shouldn't, like, who, who refuse to watch violence TV movies, etc., because they don't want to have violence normalized inside their own mm-hmm. minds and hearts. Right. But I guess, I guess where I was going with this was just that, um, in like, in this circumstance, it's it's... It's tough to like. It's tough to even know if I want to stay tender to these things because it feels. It's almost like you know. Don't like. There's some wisdom in not focusing on things that you can't control, mm-hmm. uh, and it feels at this point like like what can we possibly do? Like, serenity prayer. There's nothing that like. It feels. This may be wrong, but it feels like there's nothing to be done. Like we are just stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think about all those things. I mean, I just think about the fact that like there are a lot of things. There are a lot of things that are possible to address. It is possible to address slave labor in your clothing. It's incredibly disruptive to your life um, and requires a lot of attention. It's just like... Right. How much, like, how, you could go and buy a bunch of... Cloth. Or, or, yeah, buy a bunch of cloth or buy a bunch of wool and knit it or right. whatever. But just, like, at a certain point, like... And, again, I feel like I've said this in another recent episode, like, you're not called to die on every cross. Mm-hmm. And... and, and to make your life sort of morally perfect in like your entire supply chain would be more than a work of a lifetime. Like even if, even if you dedicate yourself full time to doing it, it would be very challenging. Most of us need to work for a living. Right. And, and so I, I think the part where, you know, the intro of this chapter talks about how those things affect your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. I think that's an important point there then, because if, you know, if getting quote unquote purer clothing isn't going to change your anything about your heart, then it's then you're not really focusing mm-hmm. on something that they would say matters, especially since it's an unreachable goal. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's it's not you can't really stop the situation that exists regarding the clothing industry by just simple conscious consumerism mm-hmm. and it's not doing anything good for your soul. Right. So but between the two of those, then why bother? Right. Right. So the, the book though, um, gives examples of, of choices that we make that, uh, well, it talks about how those decisions that we do make could influence other people though. Right. Um, and so, like, he gives an example. It doesn't say, you know, about the clothes you wear, but it also talks about um, what car you drive. Like, um, you know, SUV with gas guzzling 
hi, I drive an SUV, um, <laughs> versus a Prius, which I used to drive. <laughs> um, you know, what, what's that say about uh, the environment, right? Um, and there's a, a significant section on, in here on sarcasm, which we were discussing. All right. Yeah, the book is very against sarcasm. Yes, it is, as being not plain speech, and because uh, you're saying the opposite of what you mean, and they uh, say that it often results in somebody responding back with more sarcasm, which I don't know if that's really true, but... Yeah, it probably is. I don't know. They think it's especially hurtful for children because it undermines their natural sensitivity to truth. Um, and you were saying that you think that's kind of true for your son, right? Well, I just think I think I think that it's true that it's true that my son George uh, is still very literal, like extremely literal. Um, and so when I, when I do occasionally say sarcastic things to him, or I say like ridiculously silly things to him, um, he'll just look at me and be like, "No, <laughs> like I know what you're doing. You're saying something really silly, and that's not true." Um, Which, frankly, is how I respond, basically, when my husband is sarcastic, because my husband has a fantastic deadpan. So the only way I know he's being sarcastic is that what he said is completely ridiculous. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, I I don't know, like, I do think, I do do definitely think there's a form of sarcasm, and probably most, to be honest, probably most of sarcasm, it falls into this category, which is uh, funny but not joyful. Hmm. And I think probably we do want to avoid funny but not joyful. Things that are funny because, because they're awful. Well, it's, I, I know my husband uh, strongly objects to any movie that includes embarrassment comedy. Mm. Um, you know, laughing at somebody else's expense. Right. Which is a genre of movie that I definitely grew up watching a lot of. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Adam Sandler movies, Chris Farley movies. Right. <laughs> Those are all about, you know... Somebody got hurt or somebody got made a fool of, and this is hilarious. I guess, yeah, um, I, I guess, like... I and, like- and I know, like, you know, my husband, uh, okay, I'm a nerd. I married a nerd. This should be no surprise to anybody then that there would be experiences of bullying. And so when you've, ha- when you've been bullied, then I understand that making you more sensitive to the embarrassment thing. And so that's, you know, now, and I guess you could kind of see that as a witness of his that it's like that that's not okay i guess i guess maybe maybe this would be a, an obvious quaker thing to say but like i feel like it's more about the spirit of what's being said than whether it's technically sarcasm or not mm-hmm. uh but like i feel like i do feel like like i would say the book is right in the sense that much sarcasm falls in the category of kind of implicitly complaining about life and being ungrateful um i think a, i feel like a lot of sarcasm like in the workplace, for example, I feel like a lot of sarcasm. Oh, or like all those times that you, that something, that, that there's something you're not looking forward to, and then you say, joy. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, you say, like, boy, I'm really looking forward to that meeting, right? It's basically, some, like, I think complaining is probably generally, like, it's probably generally a bad thing. I don't, I don't want to go too far with that statement, because obviously complaint is important sometimes, but I think... As a, as a general life practice. Doing it. Yeah. I think as a general life practice, being a complaining person is not healthy. Um, as, some, as someone who's hopefully a recovering complainer. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, so, like, I think, like, I'm not, sure, I'm, not, I'm not sure I agree with the book that, like, sarcasm per se is not a good thing. But I do think sarcasm 
especially in our society, we are in a very sarcastic society. It's a, it's, 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 it's a distinctive form of American humor. Um, and I do think sarcasm is a, can be a vessel and often is a vessel for a lot of really unhelpful sentiment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's something to be aware of. Um, let's see what else is in here. So, okay. So I guess there's, there's like the next part of what's here in the book, um, is talking about, um, the relating to the, the simplicity thing we talked about last time, avoiding distraction, the distractions and waste of popular entertainment. And I just said about my husband having a no embarrassment comedy rule about, uh, movies. So like something that I've been thinking about lately, especially as more and more, uh, one of those uh, Avengers movies come mm-hmm. out is like, I know that, um, you know, I could take or leave them. Um, I go to those because my, my husband and his family are really into comics. And so mm-hmm. they want to see the comic book movies. And right. so I go along with them, but I'm like, I'm like, well, you know, going to movies is expensive mm-hmm. and I'm not into this and they're really violent. And so it's like, maybe I shouldn't, you know, I go to make my husband happy, but I do. That is something I think I, I do not go see. I don't go see many movies in the theater period just mm-hmm. because it's not something I'm that into. And now that we've got little kids, like it's really logistically hard. Um, but, but I would say like, I feel like a lot of movies, particularly the ones like the superhero main, like superhero movies are almost universally. I feel that superhero movies almost universally have a bad message because the basic message of most superhero movies is evil has emerged who will come and violently kill them? Mm-hmm. Who will save us through violence, please? Mm-hmm. And that's the message. Like, it's like redemptive violence. And that's, if you haven't picked it up from our prior episodes, like, that's, <laughs> not, that's not a message of Quakerism. That's not a message of Christianity. Right. Um, so. You know, I was reading, um, I was reading a book, A Long Road by Bill Palmer. And there's a bit in there where, I don't remember which, you know, he, he was talking about um, atonement and how different theories of atonement, depending on if you're looking at evangelical friends versus Hicksite friends in the 1800s. Um, but he said in there something about nonviolent atonement through Jesus' sacrifice. And, like, I had someone sort of thinking of Harry Potter because Harry went to sacrifice, you know, he went off to, to Voldemort thinking that he was going to die, but that he would have to sacrifice himself for his friends. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, see, there's there's like a you know a good versus evil thing where throughout the Harry Potter series, there's like you know he's protected by his mother's love for him, and the only thing that Voldemort can't stand is that love and mm-hmm. and that sort of stuff. That there is still plenty of violence in Harry Potter, but there's like much less of a um, you know violence is the answer thing, right? Yeah, like the their the, violence violence is sort of a reality in that story, but it's not the message, right? Which makes it interesting that so many evangelicals really hate Harry Potter. Harry Potter. <laughs> right. So I guess there really I don't. Do you have a whole lot more else to say about this? Because okay, so the the last paragraph of this I'm going to read because I think it fits in nicely with what you said about funny without joy. Mm-hmm. And it says, we can neither receive the Holy Spirit nor bear its fruits when we are full of some other spirit. We cannot be full of love, joy, peace, and patience when we are opinionated, bitter, selfish, ill-tempered, or jealous. 
These latter are the fruits of being separated from God's will. They are the fruits of a lack of spiritual integrity. By giving them up, we make more space for the spirit to fill, both within us and within the world outside of us. And I think with that, we're going to conclude our our wander through of traditional Quaker Christianity. That is not to say that this is the end of the podcast, because we do still have another listener request to do, and then we're going to be doing some planning and figure out what else we're going to talk about, because there's still plenty of other things to talk about. There's a lot to talk about, but next up is going to be talking about the afterlife. So if you wondered what Quakers think about the afterlife, you might find out in our next podcast. Maybe. (laughs) You can find us on the web at quakerpodcast.org, as Quaker Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, or Patreon, and on iTunes.